Hello and welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is a weekly podcast where we get together and we talk about what it means to live as a Christian in the 21st century. The format of the podcast is pretty basic. It's pretty stable from week to week. First, we'll talk a little bit about a story that I pull out of the news that has something to do with Christians and their response or their life in society in the 21st century. You know, so many times that we find ourselves in conflict or in contrast with the unbelievers around us. So we like to look at a, a news story that has something to do with that. Then we look and see something that God has for us from the scriptures. Take a short time to have a short little devotional period. I am completely dedicated to the idea that God wants to have a loving, personal relationship with each one of his children. And so we try to pull something out of the scriptures each week. It'll just encourage each one of us. Myself, mostly I do this to encourage me, but also hopefully to encourage you to live a life that's more in relationship with the God who loves us. So let's go first to a story from the news. All right, in the news today, I want us to talk a little bit about uh, government and politics because we're getting closer and closer to this big presidential election. This article is from ChristianPost.com. It's dated September 23, 2008. The title of the article is Evangelicals Make Case for Bolder Poverty Response. And it says, Prominent American evangelical leaders called on their government, the United Nations, and the church on Monday to adopt a bolder, more aggressive plan to combat global poverty. For too long, they acknowledged, U.S. churches have failed to advocate on behalf of their counterparts in the global south for stronger government commitment to poverty reduction in the world. Reverend Joel Hunter, senior pastor at Northland Church in Orlando, Florida, and board member of the World Evangelical Alliance explained that many evangelical churches have been late to the table on issues such as poverty because they've been focused on personal morality. We've forgotten to address the larger issue of public morality, Hunter pointed out, which is every bit as compelling and imperative biblically. But now, a growing number of evangelical churches are beginning to understand that addressing poverty is part of the biblical mandate of loving one's neighbor, these leaders asserted. Okay, we're going to jump off from there. I just wanted to talk a little bit about something that you're seeing more and more of, which is there is something that I think you can safely call the Christian left in American society, which is growing. It's not quite to the size of what they used to call the Christian right, uh, but the Christian left is, is a group of believers, and I don't doubt their sincerity of their faith or anything like that, but they're tied to issues like uh, poverty, the environment, just like the right is tied very often to issues like uh, homosexual rights, and abortion, things like that. But, you know, I have a problem with the left, the right, the center. I have a problem with Christians who are so tied to their ideology politically and who are willing to tie Christian issues to certain political campaigns. And both sides do it. Like I said, the right uh, ties certain issues to certain campaigns. The left does the same thing. And then we become tied to these leaders, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, whichever they are. And that's a real problem for me, because I don't think that's what the church is called to do. We're called to be involved in social issues and all kinds of economic and uh, and spiritual issues, of course, and racial issues and all kinds of issues. But the way we do it is just as important as what we do. One of the problems, some of the problems that I see with being involved with one ideology or another, especially trying to get government to do something about 
the issue that we care so much about, whether it's poverty or whether it's uh, gay marriage, whatever the, the situation is, is that one, we have to remember that in government, any kind of a government organization, especially when we ask them to start spending taxpayer money to get something accomplished, it really becomes a problem because of the amount of waste and corruption that there is in any large system, especially a system like the, the federal government, where there's, you know, there's some oversight, but there's really not a lot of oversight as to what money is being spent. We, we spend trillions of dollars on poverty reduction programs. We have, I, I've seen numbers gauging anywhere from nine to $17 trillion over the last 40 years just for poverty reduction programs. And yet we still have millions of poor people so it seems like those programs aren't working. I don't know that more government programs are really going to solve it. And so there's a lot of waste, and there's more to that, which is that there's problems when we get tied to one party. Because if I'm a Republican through and through, or if I'm a Democrat through and through, it's hard for me to point to a fellow Republican who's in power, a political leader, and say, you are wrong because you are not doing what God would have you to do with your power. That's difficult for me to do if I'm so tied to that system, if I'm so tied to that party. Christians, I think, are called to step back and be wise, wise stewards of our votes, to be wise stewards of our money. In other words, if we see a company that is engaged in practices that we think are oppressing people either here or overseas, we need to stop shopping those, at those places. We need to stop spending our money there. I'll say for our family, it's been very difficult for the last several years. We've really tried very hard not to buy things that were made in China based on what they do to their workers, what they do to Christians over there, the way they oppress their people. It's not always possible for us not to buy Chinese-made stuff, but we have really tried hard not to do that. So we need to vote with our votes, obviously. We need to vote for people that we think will stand up for the values we believe in. We need to be wise with our money. And sometimes giving the government our money and asking them to do something is not the best policy. A lot of times I was looking at, they mentioned World Vision here in this article, some of the work they're doing. And, you know, they spend 86 cents out of every dollar on ministry programs. I bet you anything that if we could actually get real solid numbers from the government, that they don't spend 86 cents of every dollar on the programs that we are saying we're using our money for. In fact, I, I would guarantee you there's more waste than that in government programs. So we need to spend our money where it's going to be used wisely. So our solution, I think, is not to be so tied to a an ideology, making sure that the government does what it's supposed to do, although that's important. But we need to be involved ourselves with how we vote, how we shop, how we live, where we volunteer our time. And we need to remember that a government, United Nations, whatever, can't address spiritual needs they can address some economic needs they can address some of the uh, some of the inequities that are involved when you have large uh, companies or large countries uh, taking advantage of smaller less uh, less wealthy countries or less wealthy companies or less wealthy people for that matter but none of those things can solve the spiritual problems that people face only christians can do that so we need to be involved in all kinds of organizations and with people with groups that are working not just to solve the physical ailments of people, the economic ailments of people, but also the spiritual needs, because really that's what we're called to do. We're called to spread the gospel, and part of spreading the gospel, I believe, is treating people as we would want to be treated, which is fairly and with respect and taking care of basic needs. 
But the best way to do that is for each Christian to get involved. If we just were better stewards of our time and of our money, we could take care of a lot of the things that are wrong, both in this country and all over the world. So I just want you to think about that. Don't be so tied to the Republicans or the Democrats and look to them. They're going to solve our problems. They're not going to solve our problems. The only person who can solve our problems in reality is Jesus Christ himself. And as followers of Jesus, we can have a part in that. But we have to be wise and be willing to criticize people when it's necessary, be willing to encourage people when it's necessary, and be willing to step in with our time and with our money to help those who are most in need. Now let's turn to the scriptures and see what God has for us. Okay, I want us to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, the first three verses today. This is important, and I think it proves something very important, which is that God is finished with us. I want us to read. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then it goes on. We'll pick up on that uh, rest of that chapter in oh, week, next week or two. What I got from this first part is really the fact that God is finished with us in a very real way. Obviously, I'm going to take that in a different way than we usually mean it, but don't you feel like that sometimes? Don't you feel like God has just kind of given up on you sometimes? I know sometimes I do. I feel like uh, I'm kind of outside of God's plan. God's not really working in my life. Sometimes I feel that way, and I bet you the people that Peter was talking to felt that way too. If you look at the way he describes them, he describes them as strangers in the world who've been scattered all over the place. This is Peter's encouragement, is for them to look at what God had already done in their lives, the plans that God had already made for them, and to be encouraged that even though they were strangers, even though they were scattered, that they were still God's people. And what I mean when I say that God is finished with us is that his saving work is finished. And that's what he says here. He says that he knew us, it was according to his foreknowledge, that he knew us and he saved us. And that's an important thing. Sometimes we read over verses like this and we just kind of read them and we don't really take a second to think about what they actually mean. Let's look at what Peter says here. He says, before the world began, is what Paul says in another place, that God foreknew us and saved us. That means that before, he, before we did anything, but knowing what we were going to do, knowing who we were going to be, that God said, I want those people. I want to save them. I want to pick them up. He knew everything about our failures, everything about our successes. He knew all of our circumstances, everything that was going to happen in our lives. And he said, I want them to be my people. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't know what's going on. But not only does he know what's going on when it's happening, he knew what was going to happen in our lives before we were even born. And it says that he foreknew us. It says that he saved us. It says that he gave us a new birth. He made us be born again. And this is new life into a living hope. You know, someone, so many of us live hopeless, 
lives of just drudgery and just there's no hope for tomorrow. We, in fact, a lot of us live like atheists, really, because we, f- we feel like and we live like God's not going to have anything to do with us. You're not going to have any working in our lives. I read a, a survey one time. It was done of people who go to church, and the vast majority of people in the survey who go to church on a regular basis said that they weren't expecting God to show up at their church services. And I thought of how sad that was, that you would go to be one with God's people, and you wouldn't be expecting that God would be there. But in fact, God is with us not only when we get together as his people, but he's with us in each of our lives. He gives us new life, living hope, and it's a fact. It's something that's not going to happen. It's not something that might happen, but it's an already established fact. If you look at this, these verbs here used in the first three verses, they're past tense. In other words, they are God foreknew us, his foreknowledge, he saved us, again, past tense, and he gave us new birth, past tense. It's something that's already happened. It's not based on anything we did. It's based completely on what Jesus did on the cross. He's the one that reconciled us to God, that brought the two people, two warring parties together and made us have peace with God. So there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's not based on anything that we've done. It's not anything that we've earned. It's not anything we could buy. It's based completely on what Jesus did. So this week, I hope you'll just think about the fact that God is finished with us. And what we mean by that is that God's work of saving us is done. There's no mistake. There's no possibility of him going back on his word because God does not do that. His work is done. It's over, and we are his children because he has made it happen. Don't have to work to get it. Don't have to work to keep it. You just have to relax and just live in the reality that God loves you, and he's made you his child. I hope that's encouraging for you. It's encouraging for me. I know that. Just to know that. And I don't always live like I know that, but I know it. And I feel it, and I experience it on a daily basis. Not as often as I should. But I know that that's the truth. The truth is that he knew me, and even knowing how messed up I could be sometimes, he chose me, he grabbed me out of the sin and the just the yuck that I was in, and he made me his child, gave me a new birth, a living hope. And that's a done deal, something that's not going to be taken away. It's not something that I have to earn or that I have to live a certain way to make sure it happens. It's a deal done by God even before I was born. Hope that's encouraging to you. That's all we have for this week. If you have any questions, any comments, anything you'd like to bring up, I'm easy to find. I'm at the blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com, or my email, which is nftw at sbcglobal.net. Until next week, God bless.